Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Psalm 78 is where we're going to jump in here in just a few moments. Uh, If you're new here, I'm Pastor Matt, the senior pastor here at Bible Center Church. I was gone last week. Uh, My wife and I were in Charleston, South Carolina, the other Charleston. Uh, The elders have been so good a few times a year to allow us, encourage us actually, to get away. And while you all were having like an Arctic hurricane, we were in 80 degrees with our our toes in the sand. Uh, But we did think about you, maybe a little bit. Uh, But it's so good to be back. We loved coming back. We got back Sunday evening. And I heard Pastor Mike absolutely knocked it out of the park last week. If you have not yet had a chance to hear his message, he covered the last part of Ephesians chapter 3, and you will want to hear uh, his message on the love of God. What a way to finish out that first half of Ephesians. And then we're going to dive into the rest of Ephesians after the first of the year. But between now and then, we're going to take just a little bit of a break. And the Lord has led us, before we jump into Christmas, to take the next three Sundays and answer three big why questions. Throughout this year, we've been talking about why this, why that. And so, you know, in the church, there's a number of things that sometimes we do, but maybe we don't know why we do them. And so we're trying to cover all of that ground this year in 12 or 13 different why sermons. One of the things that we covered a few months ago was why baptism. And really, that's a fairly easy question to answer because Jesus talked a lot about baptism, the Gospels, of course, the book of Acts talk a lot about baptism. And Jesus said when someone puts their faith in him, the next step of obedience is to be baptized. And so that was somewhat of an easy one to answer, uh, but we covered it anyway. But there's other things that we do as Christians in the church or as part of ceremonies that that aren't so easy. Maybe there's not a direct command from Jesus to do them, but we do them anyway. And so it's good to kind of cover those and lay the principles about why we do them. One of those things that we do that there's no command to actually do, and that is marriage or wedding vows. Yesterday, we had a wedding out in the gathering space. By the way, this is a beautiful place to get married. Like, you can spend no money on on decorations and just show up, and especially out in the gathering space, the lobby. It was a beautiful wedding. And I was thinking as the bride and the groom are doing their vows, that really there's nowhere in the Bible that commands us to do vows the way we traditionally do them. So why do we do vows? Well, the way I like to summarize it is this. The public commitment rehearses the private commitment. The public commitment rehearses the private commitment. In the Garden of Eden, you had Adam and Eve. Really, it was just being married in the sight of God. And then nine chapters later, government was started. Government was established. And so we believe that one is not truly married unless they're in the sight of God and in the sight of the government. But we do vows to publicly symbolize what we are committing to on the inside. The same is true with church membership. We covered that, I think, back in April or May. Uh, We're going to have a member meeting coming up next Sunday night. And if you call Bible Center Church your church, especially if you're an official member here, I hope you'll just plan to be here. Uh, 6 to 7.15, we're going to celebrate Paula Tony's 15 years on staff uh, here, so you're going to want to be a part of that. If you're a member or one day you plan to be, I hope you'll join us for the member meeting. It's going to be a wonderful time. But there's no command in the Bible that says, thou shalt do member meetings. 
But we look at the principles of Scripture, like people gathering together, the church would vote on certain things and pray together on certain things, and there would be updates throughout the book of Acts. And so, building upon those principles, we host member meetings because we believe that the outer commitment is symbolized, it symbolizes the commitment we're making to one another in our hearts. Child dedication is very, very similar. I want to say at the outset of this message, there's nowhere in the Bible that says thou shalt do child dedications. We are commanded to do baptism and communion. So why do we host child dedication services? That's the question that I want to answer in the next few minutes. If you have an outline or if you're taking notes in your bulletin or in the app, you can also do it there. Um, you're going to see that there's three reasons why we do child dedications here at Bible Center Church. And I want to say that this message applies to every person here. It especially applies to you if you have children or grandchildren. It applies to you if one day you want children or grandchildren. It applies to you if you are a child or a grandchild. And even if none of those three categories apply to you, if you're a part of this church family, what we're trying to do is lay a groundwork this year that helps you understand why we do what we do. You see, one day we want to multiply. We want to see other campuses, other churches started around this city and around this region. But we've really taken this year to try to drill down and lay the foundation to say, this is why we do what we do, so that one day when we multiply, we are ready and we're all on the same page. And so this message applies to you uh, no matter who you may be. Let's go ahead and jump into Psalm 78, starting in verse 1. Will you stand with me out of respect for the Bible? Psalm 78 in verse 1. My people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from our descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel which He commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children, and they would put their trust in God, and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Psalm 78 is the second longest psalm in the Bible, dwarfed only by Psalm 119. Verses 1 through 8 act like a preamble. And so just like our United States Constitution has a preamble, verses 1 through 8 that I just read is a preamble to the entire psalm. And we're not going to read the whole psalm, but as you go through it, line upon line, section on section, you'll find that over and over again, it's just a psalm of stories. God is telling stories over and over again of His faithfulness to unfaithful people. And in Psalm 78, we see this desire that every generation know the Lord, that they obey the Lord, that they put their hope 
in the Lord. I learned this week that the script we just read, the first eight verses of Psalm 78, have actually been the liturgy. They've been the words that have been used for child dedications for centuries. Really, they've been the same words used for millennia as Israel used this text. And now the church uses this text to dedicate our children to the Lord. So why do we do child dedications? Three reasons, and we'll move quickly. Number one, child dedication services remind us that our kids belong to Jesus. That our kids belong to Jesus. Kids aren't commodities, they're not burdens, they're not social opportunities. They aren't simply the products of our success, but children are a gift from God. They're an unmerited gift of the grace of God. And Psalm 127.3, the Bible says, Don't you see that children are God's best gift? The fruit of the womb, His generous legacy? Ezekiel 18.4 says, For everyone belongs to me. The parent as well as the child, both alike, belong to me. Now, why is it so important to know this? Why do I want you to grasp this truth? Well, I've listed several things below each point to tell you why I think each point is important. First of all, they ultimately belong to a promise-keeping God who is infinitely more faithful than us. Our children ultimately belong to a promise-keeping God who is infinitely more faithful than us. I want to ask you a question. How many of you think that it's a good thing for parents to strive to be faithful as we raise our children? How many of you think it's a good idea for us to try to be faithful? I, I think it is. My hand is raised. How many of you could truly say that you have always been faithful, you have always done everything right as a parent, and that you have never, ever made any mistakes? Anybody want to raise their hand? Probably not many hands, right? So if we hold up our faithfulness as the standard for parenthood, or even for our children, we're actually holding up the wrong person's faithfulness. But it's God who is faithful, and so it's important for us to see that ultimately our children belong to God. Thankfully, He is much more faithful than us. This kind of thinking frees us from this guilty pressure to get everything right in our parenting. Hey, just like you, I've got goals. Sarah and I have goals for our children's health, for their education, for their manners, for athletics. But if we think it's all up to us, that we somehow own our kids, and it all is on our shoulders, we're going to be crushed beneath the weight of being parents. You see, so as parents, we don't own our children, but are simply stewards of what God already owns. Next, we see that as parents, we don't own our children, but we're simply stewards of what God already owns. Sure, we're responsible to care for our kids. We're responsible to provide for our kids. We're the primary disciple makers of our children, but we are ultimately just stewards. We teach, we pray for, we lead, we guide, but we pray that the Lord will open their heart. God has to open their heart to one day they make their own decision to trust Christ. We cannot and we do not have control over their hearts. His plans for our children, His plans for them may be different than our plans for them, and that's okay. 
God's plans for them may be different than our plans for them, and that's okay. The older our children get, and they're only teenagers, but the older they get, Sarah and I realize that we have less and less control, right? Don't let them hear that, even though they're in this service, but we realize we have less and less control. Some of you have grown children. You, you look at me and you're like, you have no idea. There's coming a day you're going to have zero control. And so that's why it's so important, I believe, early on for us to realize they belong to Jesus And our child dedication services in many ways are just like child surrender services. Like we don't hold them up like, you know, Mufasa and Simba, but we could, right? Maybe we'll do that next time. Just kind of hold them up. These are just, we're just surrendering our children to the Lord. You know, I believe one of the biggest, one of the biggest challenges in the American church to surrender is sentimentalism. Here's what I mean by sentimentalism. A sentimental dad says, my son will grow up and do exactly what I do. A sentimental dad says, my son will grow up and he'll root for the same football teams that I root for. He will, do, he will go to the same college that I went to. He'll like the same music that I like. That's what a sentimental father says. And, and it's so easy to get pulled into that. But what often happens is if that son doesn't do exactly what that dad wanted him to do, the dad gets angry. Why does he get angry? Because his identity is in his son, not in his father, this heavenly father who really ultimately owns the son. And I feel it all the time as a dad. I'm not above you. I feel it. A sentimental mom says this, my children, she thinks perhaps that my children are going to be like something a Hallmark movie would produce. We're going to have this Hallmark life. Everything's going to be perfect. It's going to snow you know, just at the right time. And we're going to... But what happens is when those children grow up, maybe become teenagers, and they go through their rebellious streak, that mom's hope is shattered because she put her identity in the children and not in her heavenly father who ultimately owns those children. So in child dedication, we we need those reminders. I need the reminder, you need the reminder that our kids belong to Jesus. Number two. Child dedication services remind us that we need God's help to love them like Jesus. We need God's help to love them like Jesus. How did Jesus love children? Mark chapter 10, verse 13. It's so clear. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Now this scene in Mark chapter 10 is beautiful to think about, especially when our kids are really, really little. I remember when both of our daughters were born. It's just beautiful. It's this perfect little thing. Even their cries aren't very loud, you know, initially. But something happens when they hit those terrible twos. For us, it wasn't terrible twos. We really coasted through the terrible twos. We're like, man, we have read the parent books, right? We are baby, wise, whatever. We are ready to go. This is not a problem. We totally missed the terrible twos. But like something happened around our girls' third birthday, right? Like something possessed them. But there was like gasoline in their baby bottles. I'm like, what the heck? What, what's happened? I'm like, honey, they take after your side of the family on this. I don't really know. But um, 
No, I didn't say that. Trust me, I didn't say that. Uh, so, but terrible threes were what we experienced. And you know this, if you're a parent or a grandparent, if you've ever worked with kids, loving children isn't always easy. It isn't always easy. One day they're angels and the next day they're trolls, right? It's not always easy. And so we need the grace of God. And at Child Dedication Services, we're not only dedicating our children, but we're dedicating ourselves. Lord, help me love these children like Jesus. We don't just dedicate our children, but we also dedicate ourselves. We also dedicate ourselves. We could call this parent dedication just as much as we call it child dedication. Because we need God's help to love them like Jesus, even when we don't feel like loving them like Jesus. You see, the primary context for our children's discipleship is not in children's ministry on Sunday. It's not. But it's in our homes, in our cars, at our dinner table, and by their bedside. That's the primary place where we get to disciple our children. It's in those planned moments when you pull out a Bible storybook or you read a few verses or you share a story. But it's also a lot in the unplanned moments. You know, it would be so easy to be a parent if like, you know, there was this laboratory that you put your children in from like 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. and you just shoved them in the lab and then every day you took them out of the lab and you do that for so many years and then they magically turn into great kids. Like that would be awesome. Well, the problem is God says life is the laboratory. Deuteronomy chapter 6, thousands of years ago, God wrote this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Let's stay there for just a minute. It is okay for you to impress truth on your children. That is, if you believe in truth, it is totally, the world says, don't impress truth on your children. Let them discover their own truth. Well, the problem is there are some things that are true and some things that are not. It is okay for you to tell your children what you've learned about life and what you've learned about the Lord. Do not buy into the philosophy that says, well, I don't want to you know, really teach my kids, any, don't buy into that. We don't believe it for math. Why would we believe it for Christianity? We'll go on. He says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, as we do life, you'll have to find out the places and the things that work best for you in your home where you can express and teach your children the best. For some of my friends, it was the breakfast table, right? Like they have this perfect Walton breakfast every morning. Maybe this is your house. Please invite me over for breakfast. I love bacon. Um, but, you know, the kids come down and they hold hands and they pray over breakfast. And if that's your house every day, God bless you. That sounds actually amazing. At our house, we like throw granola bars at each other as we're going out the door, right? Like everybody's hurrying. We're getting out the door, getting off to school. So we found at our house the dinner table, as our kids were little especially, worked best to talk about the things of the Lord. It just worked best for our house. For you, it may be different. Um, when our kids were really little, dinner table worked well because... 
you had them strapped in. Remember those? You'd like strap them in, man. Now, I'm learning that it's not good to do that when they're 16, right? They kind of rebel. Again, I'm just kidding. Uh, against that. But when they're little, you strap them in. You've got to, you give them food. And then you, I could read a storybook or Sarah could read the Bible. And we, we had a captive audience. And so that worked with us. Now that our kids are teenagers, we're learning that the car works best. Um, that way you're not like face-to-face, but you're beside each other. They're in the back seat. And we talk about a lot of stuff, really, in the car is one of the places we talked probably the most. Uh, bedtime, when they were little, worked really, really well. Sometimes even still, bedtime is good. Their hearts seem to be open. But you'll have to find out the rhythms that work best for you. I was thinking this week in preparation for this message, I cannot remember one devotional my mom or dad ever did with me as a kid. Now, they did a lot, but I can't remember one passage they read. I can't remember one paragraph. I hate to say this, they read the Bible a lot. I can't remember one Bible passage that they read. Now, I know they did, and it's in my heart, but I remember stories. I can still remember the stories my parents told of when they trusted Jesus as their Savior. I remember the stories that they told about how God provided for them and how God protected them and dad almost got in a wreck here, but God protected him this way and that way. I could tell you those stories like it was yesterday. And so what I want to encourage you is, yes, read the Bible. Yes, love God's word. But Psalm 78 gives us the pattern for how to teach our kids. And it's through stories. It is okay for you to tell your kids in story form what you're learning. Actually, they may get that better than if you just read or if you just share with them facts upon facts in bullet point fashion. We can't be our child's Jesus, but we can love them like Jesus. We can't be our child's Jesus, but we can love them like Jesus. We look at our kids when they're little in Walmart and they throw a temper tantrum on the floor, they put their fingers in their ears. And we're like, whose kids are these? And then we realize that's exactly what we've done to God so, so many times. Throwing a temper tantrum when God doesn't let us have our way or we try to ignore some command that we know God has given. So let's think about how much God loves us and then let's show that love to our children. James K.A. Smith writes, While I don't mean to rain on your parade, talking to parents, I do feel compelled to share the bad news too. Your child might break your heart. Actually, he or she will break your heart. Somehow, somewhere, maybe more than once. To become a parent is to promise that you'll love prodigals. Indeed, someday's parenting is exactly how God is going to teach you to love your enemies. It will require absorbing all of your child's misplaced animosity, all of their confused attempts to figure out who and whose they are. At those moments, Jesus' call to lay down your life and take up the cross will have a mundane tangibility that you could never have imagined. I want to recommend a book again. I've recommended it once a year or two ago, but I want to recommend it again. If you're a reader, you can probably get this and listen to the book, How to Really Love Your Child by Dr. Ross Campbell. It is an amazing book. It changed the way we saw parenting and saw life. I wish I would have read it 17 years ago uh, before Katie was born. I'm sure Katie wishes I had read this book 17 years ago. Uh, before she was born. But I encourage you to pick it up. There's also a book I haven't read yet, How to Really Love Your Teenager. I heard it's just as good.
We need God's help to love them like Jesus. Lastly, number three, why do we do child education services? Because they remind us that we need the church to help point them to Jesus. We need the church to help point them to Jesus. Psalm 78 is primarily a word to the people of God. Psalm 78 wasn't written to an individual for you to alone quietly in the woods just to have your time with Jesus, as good as that is. But Psalm 78 was written to a group. It was written to the covenant community of faith. So why is it so important that we know that? Why is it that we absorb that? Well, several reasons. Because training children doesn't end with parents. It includes the whole church, the community of faith. Training children doesn't end with parents. It includes the whole church, the community of faith. Next, God doesn't want us raising our children alone. We need each other's spiritual gifts, each other's encouragement, accountability, and eyes to see what we can't. Over the years, as Sarah and I have raised our children in the church, we've learned that there are people sometimes in the church, people with whom we're doing life, and they'll see things sometimes before we see things. Now, sometimes, you know, growing up as a pastor's kid, it can't be the easiest thing in the world, those of you who grew up as pastor's kids, but there are times when you're doing life with another family, and maybe you can see things in their children, and they can see things in your children, and you can help each other. And that's when we have to check our pride at the door, because that's not always an easy conversation. And sometimes we can't see things as quickly as other people can see things. And so I wanted to mention this. There's two extremes we all have to avoid. I have to avoid them. You have to avoid them. The first extreme says this. Our kids can do no wrong. Please avoid that extreme. Our kids can do no wrong. When our kids were little and we would get called to the school or even having parent-teacher conferences, and, and man, when my kids were little, just my personality, I would be ready with go, both guns blazing, like, hey, we heard you did this and you did that. And, and I quickly learned that I would, didn't always get the whole story at home. And you know, more than likely, you probably don't get the whole story at home either. And so now I've kind of changed it up. When I go, have to, and I don't have to do this very often, but if I've got to meet with the teacher or have a conference, I usually start with something like this. My children are made of the same stuff I am, so there's nothing you're going to say that's going to surprise me. What if we all had that attitude, realizing that, you know what? Life's not over when we realize our kids aren't perfect. We weren't perfect either. I was telling the story to one of our principals after the first service about the time I stuffed a kid in a locker and uh, that wasn't good. Don't stuff a kid in a locker. He wanted to get stuffed in the locker. We had a bet about whether or not he could fit in the locker. But the principal didn't believe it either, and so I got in trouble. The other error that we need to avoid is always thinking our kids can do no good. Don't think that your kids can do no wrong, but please don't think that your children can do nothing good. I know God hasn't called us to be the friends of our children, especially when they're young. We're called to be their parents. Parents are not synonymous with friends when they're little and when they're young. But God also hasn't called you to be their drill sergeant. It is okay for you to love your kids, to hug your kids, 
to look them in the eye and tell them how proud you are of them. It is okay. I know we live in a society where everybody gets an award, but if anybody is their cheerleader, you should be your child's cheerleader. Encourage them. Love them. Fan that flame. But let's remember that God's called us to be a father and a mother like he fathers us with grace and love. Lastly, dedication services call us to recommit as a church to the discipleship of all of our children. Dedication services call us to recommit as a church to the discipleship of all of our children. This goes for us if we have children or if we don't have children. We're all in this together. We all have a responsibility. I want to invite Pastor Caleb up, and as he and it begins to play here just for a second, I, I want to take a second and show you a quote that I would like you to help me quote in just a minute. We're going to throw that up on the screen. I'm going to have you commit with me and say this aloud if you believe you can say it in good conscience. So in a moment, I'm going to ask everybody to stand in a second, and we're going to say this together if you mean it. If you don't mean it or if you're not really sure you can say it, please, I totally respect you. Uh, you don't have to read it. You don't have to say it. But I would like our church family to say this together in a minute with joy and thanksgiving. Why do we say with joy? Because we want raising children to be a joy. I'm glad to be a part of a church where there's kids making a mess every week. The day that stops is the day our church dies. I don't know how in the world Steve DeBoard and our maintenance staff does it. They find like crayons in the ceiling. I don't know how those kids do it. That's the gifted kids that can get the crayons stuck in the ceiling tiles, but they do it, and I love it because that's the sign of a healthy. Let's do it with joy. I'm glad to be part of a church with joy and thanksgiving as Christ's church. Bible-centered church belongs to Christ. This isn't my church. It's not your church. This is Jesus' church. And if we together are going to show the body of Christ, let's, let's welcome children like Jesus did. With God's help, we promise to love. Let's just stop there for a minute. We promise to love. Love doesn't mean you just accept people who are just like you. Think like you, act like you, vote. We say it all the time. Love is unconditional love, welcoming people here. Where's the line for you? What kind of family isn't welcome to sit beside you? Where's the line? Who do you not want to hear the word of God and, and be, be challenged with the gospel of God? I want Charleston here. You want Charleston here. We've got to love people. May that be our reputation. Let's be, have a reputation for encouraging, not discouraging, but encouraging. Sure, encouragement isn't always happy. It isn't always pleasant. Telling people the truth like a football coach can be challenging. But let's encourage people in the faith. Let's support parents. We've got Awana. We've got Sunday morning ministry. Week after week, we do this, we, we encourage, we ask folks, let's serve in our kids' ministry, let's love kids in Awana, let's support, let's pray for parents as they follow Christ and chain, train their children in the faith. Every one of us in this room, every one of us, have burdens in our hearts when we come in here on Sundays. Maybe family burdens, maybe work burdens, health burdens, we got burdens. Let's pray for one another. 
And let's encourage each other in the faith. If you, can, if you can commit to those things, though I'll ask everybody to stand, I'm going to ask you specifically to say this with me out loud. Let's all stand. If you can commit to this, we'll say it nice and slow together as a commitment to the Lord and to our children and their parents. Let's say it together. With joy and thanksgiving as Christ's church, with God's help, we promise to love, encourage, support, and pray for our parents as they follow Christ and train their children in the faith. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.